0: Hello, hello! Welcome to our haunted home. I'm Gracie. I'm Stephanie. And we're your spooky neighbors.
1: So today we're talking about a serial killer located right down in our own neighborhood of Heritage Hill. Luckily, it happened many decades before we moved in, so I think we're safe at this point. Also, they caught the guy, so.
0: Cool, so now creeps are going to find us. They know our neighborhood now.
1: Great. Good luck finding us. 1,300 homes. Don't think so. (laughs) Heh, heh, heh. There's enough creeps around here. We have our local creeps.
0: Yes. We are your local creeps. Hi, hello.
1: Hi. We're not those kind of creeps.
0: <laughs> 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 oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> but really though. <laughs> we're here to warn you about the creeps.
0: Yeah. So tell us about these past creeps.
1: So we have let's let's place the setting here, right? So we're talking about the neighborhood on the edge of beautiful downtown Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our beloved Heritage Hill. It currently stands as one of the largest urban historic districts in the entire United States.
0: Wow. That that really surprises me. That that is me. cool. Like, go Grand Rapids. Yes.
1: I love
0: you so much.
1: So there is nearly every style of American architecture from the Greek Revival to the Prairie. It's represented in the 1300 buildings that date back to 1844 including a local favorite and famous architect, Frank Lloyd Wright. He has crafted a few of these homes with artistic flair, the pristine museum-like quality, and these homes are so unique and awe-inspiring that there is an annual home tour where you can go in and see all of the details of these beautiful places. There's so much to be said about this neighborhood, but today we are going to focus on the case of the Heritage Hill serial killer.
0: Whoa. Yeah, just a small side note about the houses. They're amazing. Some look kind of like castles, and then there's some that have, like, those super 70 vibes. There's a bunch of different paint colors everywhere you look. There was once a, a competition for painting houses. Like,
1: who could be the most unique paint, like, paint their house in the most unique fashion? And you've seen we've seen some pretty interesting stuff. But this beautiful neighborhood was once home to... Lumber barons, teachers, judges, and legislators who shaped our city's future. Throughout the years, the population and diversity grew, and Heritage Hill became one of the first neighborhoods established in downtown Grand Rapids. It's adjacent to the medical institutions and universities and the Uptown District.
0: Whoa, whoa, the first neighborhood of Grand Rapids? Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, super that's so cool. cool.
1: So, It became the perfect place to call home for many college students, medical health professionals, as well as singles, couples, and families. And now we are going to talk about the victims and their stories. So first up, we have in 1970, the very first case. Shelly Speet Mills was a bubbly 19-year-old who had just moved into her new apartment with her husband, Bill Mills. Excited to start their new lives together, the Newlywoods of only 17 days had taken a downstairs unit located on 314 College Avenue. Conveniently, their new apartment was located near Major Highway, which made Bill's commute to Lowell High School way easier, where he worked as a band teacher. Their new place was also in walking distance from the Grand Rapids Junior College, where Shelley would soon attend classes. And on one morning of September 15th, 1970, Shelly's mother, Vesta, drove all the way from Holland to take Shelly out to lunch with her grandfather, who was blind. They visited Shelly often and were used to her greeting them upon open arms, but that day, Shelly didn't leave the house. They tried getting her attention by honking the horn, and there was no response. So Vesta thought it was very unlike her. After all, they made plans that day. Vesta decided to check the house and was able to get in through an unlocked door, where she found... Every parent's nightmare. Her daughter lying in a pool of blood on the kitchen floor. Her hair matted and cloaking her face. Oh my gosh. She had been stabbed 32 times. 32 times. Once in the chest, once in the back, and 30 times in the neck, which nearly decapitated her.
0: Jeez. Oh my gosh. That is so extra. I, that. 30 times. 30 times. what in the fuck (laughs) what what that's too that's that's something this monster yeah no kidding and i mean it's a serial killer so you said victims in the beginning so that means that we have more we have more
1: coming it was estimated that she had only been murdered 35 minutes after her husband left for work that morning
0: that is fucked up that is so
1: fucked so close like he was he was just there um, and she was a cautious woman. I mean, she kept all of her doors locked. Probably, usually. I don't know. I mean, like, things happen, but...
0: Uh, makes, I'm speechless on this.
1: 35 makes, minutes.
0: Could you imagine being that husband and... Uh, knowing that you had just left your
1: wife. You just
0: left for work. I mean, they're a young couple, so he was probably stoked to they go They had been married for 17 ban- days. 17 days. Oh, my heart breaks. And, I mean... How this neighborhood stands today, like, there is not a lot of things that go on in this neighborhood. No. At all.
1: Except for the car crash today that I just witnessed.
0: Yeah, and sometimes we have car break-ins, too. Yeah, those are mild. They never take
1: anything. Exactly. (laughs) But back to our story. I mean, it begs the question, who could have done this? There were no signs of forced entry, but it was apparent that a struggle took place in the kitchen, the murder weapon, which was clearly a knife, was never found, and DNA testing didn't exist back then, so...
0: Mm, that's yeah. frustrating.
1: There were no obvious suspects, and her husband, Bill, was obviously ruled out, so was this just a random attack? The leads dried up, and eventually the case went cold. But then, a year later, another woman, 25-year-old student Barbara Larson, was found stabbed to death in her mobile home, just like Shelley. Barbara attended school in the Heritage Hill area, which was a little concerning for police. After all, both Barbara and Shelly's murders had a lot of similarities. Both had been stabbed in the head and face multiple times. Both bodies were left in the same condition, and both were from Heritage Hill, which led police to believe that they may be looking for the same suspect. Next, on May 28th of 1975, another woman was found deceased. This time it was 20-year-old Laurel Jean Ellis, whose boyfriend Carl Novak found her body in the apartment at 627 Fountain Street. Carl grew concerned after not seeing or hearing from his girlfriend in over a week, so he decided it was time someone check in on her. He went to her apartment around 7.45 p.m. and found his girlfriend's nude and badly decomposing body.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: The autopsy report showed that she had been stabbed over 60 times. 45 of these wounds were to her face and neck.
0: I, okay, so when it comes to, for one, murder in general, but for two, stabbing is just the That's biggest, like, that that freaks me out. It's like
1: a personal thing, like you have it's to get per- so yeah, close yeah. to somebody. I mean, oh, I can't imagine because I'm not a murderer, but like that has to, the amount of rage and hatred coming from somebody to be able to do something like that, 60 times.
0: 60. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things like an object being an extension of yourself. I think that I read something like that in a philosophy class. And yeah, that's an extension of yourself. And yeah. that's just like psycho, psycho, psycho. And are you ready for this? It gets even more personal. Following the assault, she had been
1: strangled to death. So the what? 60 stab wounds weren't enough that he strangled that her. That is
0: disgusting. That is fuck, dude. Yeah. Oh my God.
1: It's so bad. (laughs) Um, And again, there were no signs of struggle in her apartment, no signs of forced entry. Police, however, managed to find a single drop of blood outside her... One single drop of blood. One single drop of blood. Wow.
0: That's amazing.
1: Again, uh, DNA testing didn't exist, but they kept it. They said scoop. Yep. Scooped that right up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they just kind of kept it. And again, they didn't really have any leads, so... There was not much they could do. And then, in less than six months after this one, 24-year-old Linda King was murdered at her home on Clancy Avenue Northeast. Her body was discovered by a concerned co-worker after she failed to show up for her job. Her autopsy showed the same pattern as the previous murders. She had been stabbed numerous times in the chest and then was strangled with her own clothing. Whoa. Whoa. Police took note of how each of these victims were found and how they died, and they believed that it had to be the work of the same person. On March 20th of 1976, two friends went to visit their friends, Catherine Darling on 637 Michigan Street and to check in on her. Catherine was two months pregnant at the time and had a toddler son, so when her phone calls went unanswered, they were really concerned. They also knew that her husband was serving a five-year prison sentence and that she did not travel or leave the house unexpectedly. They found their friend's corpse in the bedroom and with the same signature slaying of the other women, except this time the killer had also beaten her. Um, Only two months later this time, the killer struck again, this time slaughtering Lois D. Ritter in the Walker area. And again, seven months later, on Christmas Eve of 1976, Nancy Sweetman was walking to her boyfriend's house after church service, and around 12.55 a.m., screams were heard by some neighbors. One of the neighbors looked outside of their window and saw a body in the snow. Mm. A responding officer was Nancy's brother, Ronald Sweetman, and he arrived to the scene to find his sister's body stabbed multiple times in the neck and chest. After the body was removed, police found a trail of blood on the water spigot of the house next door. Apparently, the killer tried washing away the evidence.
0: What a dumbass.
1: Christmas Eve.
0: Ugh. Un- wow. And yeah. on another on another little side note of uh, Darling and Sweetman, they have really cute names. I know. They sound so lovely.
1: Darling and Sweetman. mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: And then again... We have, on November 28th of 1977, Ida Mae Lucci, who was found stabbed to death in the laundry room of her apartment located on 440 Crescent Street. The autopsy revealed that she also had a fractured skull, and it turns Uh, out that she had been bludgeoned with a banister spindle.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So it's getting increasingly more violent. Who
0: the fuck is this, dude? Seriously. Who? We'll
1: find out. Okay, (laughs) Uh, the next victim Joanne Eggleston was 21 at the time and she had just returned home from a softball game she went to take a nap on her couch and while she slept peacefully in her living room an intruder broke in through the bedroom window she woke up to a man stuffing a macrame belt into her mouth and like whoa (laughs)
0: whoa, Um, uh, uh...
1: what a way to wake up from a nap come on she fought back like the badass woman she was. Um, and the killer struck back and stabbed her in the neck. And the thrust was so strong that the knife's blade actually broke off into her neck. And the injury was so severe that it punctured her artery and her spinal column.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: The intruder fled the scene and Joanna was completely paralyzed except for one arm. And she managed to drag herself across the floor to call for help.
0: That is miraculous. And yeah, she should have died. What?
1: But an she amazing survived. Woman.
0: What an amazing woman to fight back, to be paralyzed completely in all but one arm. It's like there must have been something out there watching out for her. Uh, that seriously,
1: day. because it got even crazier. So in the emergency room, the knife was so deeply wedged into her neck that the doctors were unable to remove it. And they called a the janitor and asked him to bring the pliers. They what? had four doctors hold down her body to leverage her while they pried the blade out with pl- with priors, pliers. Um, Yeah.
0: <laughs> what? And <laughs> she survived. <laughs> Dude, I bet that janitor was so stoked that he was able to use his pliers for some right? good that day. Like oh he gosh. saved the like, day.
1: Yes, go janitor. I hope
0: he got a promotion. Wow, that's yeah, that's incredible. Seriously. Go janitor, man!
1: A few days after her attack, the Grand Rapids Press featured her story in an article, and that night, the killer, probably feeling disempowered by the inability to finish Joanne off, struck again. And this time, it was 21-year-old Catherine Figgleton. Her body was found very unceremoniously dumped near the 196 Expressway overpass, just a few blocks away from the home where she shared with her fiancé. The next day, a neighborhood boy found a partially nude body lying in the tall grass near the highway overpass of Lafayette and I-96. The body was determined to be that of Catherine's and that she had died of strangulation. The worst part is that the estimate time of death was just a few minutes before the fiancé found her missing. Like, he came home and she was missing and it was like a couple of minutes.
0: Dude. Minutes. Like. This dude is fucking sick. That fast. That fast. Like that is so horrible to those poor surviving fiancés, boyfriends, lovers. Oh my gosh. Seriously. Just a few minutes and then you live the rest of your life just kind of wondering like what if I came home earlier? Mhm. I hate that. I Oof. I yeah. That's a bad mindset to be in. Like It really is. I mean, and it happens so many times more often than we think. Oh yeah, it's just like how could I have prevented this? It's like going back to that like You know, tragedy. yeah, yeah. and reliving it over and over. Mm. Uh,
1: So we have 10 women altogether who had been attacked within a 10-year span. A figure eventually emerged as a main suspect in the case. Lamont Marshall was in his 20s when the murder started taking place, and for some reason he always seemed to be right around the crime scenes when the police were investigating. Hmm. Suspicious much? A little bit. The detectives were fairly certain that he was responsible for several of the murders because he was a pretty shady dude. And he changed his residence frequently. And at one point, he also even threatened the police officers if they didn't back off. And finally, in 1982, Lamont was called to be a witness in front of a grand jury. And when asked about the banister spindle that was used to kill Ida Mae Lucci, he claimed he had never seen it before. And the detectives were like, no, dude, we can actually prove that this came from your own house. Although it wasn't (laughs) for murder, Lamont was sent away for lying to the court. So they got him for that.
0: Good. Lamont. Still, I mean... That's got to be so frustrating for those detectives. Just like we were so close to yeah. getting him, like they for, know it's, for murder. Like right. we know it's you. They know it's they know who it is. But we they can can't literally prove, prove it. this like, came from your house, right? So they I have never seen that banister spindle lied. in my life. You're lying. <laughs>
1: You're liar. Caught <Call> red-handed. <laughs> so as Lamont neared eligibility for parole after this, Joanne the one surviving victim, was able to positively identify him as the attacker. He was convicted once again and this time received a full life sentence. But prosecutors still wanted to prove that he was tied to the murders of the nine other women. Remember that single drop of blood they yeah. found outside of Laurel Jean Ellis? The one single yeah. drop. One single drop. Well, it sat in an evidence locker for decades at the Michigan State Police Crime Lab, and was finally able to be analyzed in 2008, and they confirmed that it was a match to Lamont Marshall's DNA. This time, he received a life sentence in prison without the possibility of parole. Good. So they were officially able to convict him on this one.
0: That's so amazing that they have yeah. evidence lockers
1: yeah, with all where they these keep different, it.
0: yeah, all these little different like DNA samples and evidence, and I love it. Yeah. I wonder if forever. there is like a administrative assistant for those positions because I would like a job <laughs> <laughs> in admitting evidence and in, in, yes and in, uh oh just, you would love that just yeah. like all the little things yes keep that so detailed oh and gosh, nice that would and tidy be so good. yes right
1: um, so not so tidy with this one it turns out that he was not the murderer of all of these victims there was not enough evidence to prove that he had committed all of these murders. But we do know that he committed some of them, right? Yeah. In 2011, 59-year-old Russell Vane was convicted for the murder of Catherine Darling, the pregnant woman whose husband was Mm. in prison. Yeah. With DNA, he proved his guilt, and the court sentenced him to serve a life prison sentence without the possibility of parole. So Good. We have a potential of nine victims for Lamont. That's... Yeah, he was definitely convicted of the one and pretty certain to be all of the rest. But yeah, what a scumbag. Seriously. Wow. Yep. All through the 1970s and up to 1980. Can you believe that? I mean, like, I would have been living in fear. Absolutely. I mean, I probably wouldn't have. I don't do that very well. But it would have been a really scary place to live at that time.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And then you and I mean, you're just, you know, a young 21 year old college student. You're moving into this area because the colleges are right there. Mm -hmm. Maybe you got a job as a nurse and hey, the hospital is right there, too. Mm -hmm. And then your parents are suddenly like, come home now. Right. Like, get out of there. Come home. We'll drive you every
1: day. But I guess that didn't stop <laughs> some people because they would drive back to their homes and, like, walk her or wherever. And maybe he just, I don't know, followed them, something. Ugh. I just, like, the amount of stabbing.
0: The amount of stabbing? And, and the woman who lived. And I don't I don't like that this guy didn't, like, he only got, you know, convicted for two. I know. Or, like, one to two. That is so fucked up. I know. There, like... A lot of them are just cold cases, and that's very
1: yeah where he's like the prime suspect but there's no DNA evidence and especially at that time which is probably what drove everybody to like you know like crime investigators to create the science to be able to prove DNA so I'm very glad that we have that now yeah yeah it's cases like these that drove the force to have that you know
0: mhm
1: so that is the case of our heritage hill serial killer Let us know what you think. Give us uh, a shout on Instagram, Facebook, Gmail. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back again. Next week, Tuesday. Come back and crack a cold one with your spooky neighbors.
0: Thank you. Bye. Bye, guys.